Well, good morning. Great to be with you this morning. Uh, I, uh, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving, but I suppose I ought to now wish you a Merry Christmas, right? I mean, just as the last remnant of turkey has been eaten, you know, uh, we're already at the first week, first Sunday of Advent. First Sunday of Advent. That is the four weeks before Christmas, represented here by these four blue candles. The center candle is the Christ candle that gets lit on uh, for us on Christmas Eve. Uh, each one of the blue candles represents one week, one Sunday before Christmas. So today is the first Sunday in Advent. I'm going to invite you to uh, find your Christ Church notes and uh, go ahead and pull those out. Uh, there, it, it is four pages long, but you know what? There's not a blank to be found in the whole thing. I guess I should wish you already a Merry Christmas. Uh, you know, just an early Christmas present from me today. Uh, but uh, I've got a lot in here that uh, I think you're going to find this to be a fascinating, fascinating kickoff to this series. On, uh, we're going to be uh, talking about uh, God coming in person. You know, do you remember what it was like to wait for Christmas Day to arrive when you were a kid? I mean, yeah, yeah remember, remember that the, those days right before Christmas, at least for me, were the longest days of the year, right? Sure they were. You know, uh, uh, still, and no matter how long it seemed, Christmas always came, right? Didn't it? No matter how long it seemed, Christmas always came. You know, the, the, the promise of Christmas for us was a certainty. It was going to come. We knew it. December 25th for us was coming, no matter how long it took or long it seemed uh, to get there. You know, now, I won't uh, tell anybody, but how many of you searched for presents when you were a kid? Yeah? Bunch of you searched for presents when you were a child. You know, uh, what about, how many, how many of you actually played with some of your presents before you actually got them? Yeah, I see some hands out there. Yeah. You know, uh, for, in my family, my parents hid the presents in the attic. They hid presents in the attic. Now, my, for, for several years, my parents didn't realize that I knew how to pull down the steps uh, to get up in the attic. So I tended to know uh, quite a bit about what, uh, what I was getting before Christmas actually came. But when my parents discovered that I knew how to pull the attic steps down and could go up into the attic, uh, they changed to put the presents in the trunk of the car. I've never told them to this date that I actually knew where the spare keys were, you know. So I, no matter what happened, I still knew uh, exactly what was uh, happening on, uh, on Christmas for me. You know, when I was a kid, I never believed that patience was much of a virtue. I just didn't think of it that way. You know, if all this act of waiting seemed to be really uh, overrated. You know, but those, for those people who were waiting for the very first Christmas, that is the day that God would come in person, you know, they really did have to do a lot of waiting. They waited and they waited and they waited. 
You think about the fact that many generations came and went and never did they see the fulfillment of the, of the promise. You know, even though they waited and waited and waited, there was still a handful, I mean a small handful, a remnant of, of people in Israel who, who lived their life believing that Christmas was still coming. There was a handful of people who were waiting, not for Santa, but for the Messiah. You know, day in and day out, they waited for God's command for the Messiah to come. But unlike our Christmas waiting, and unlike our uh, waiting for Christmas today, generations of people back then came and went and never saw the fulfillment of the promise. They never saw the Messiah. Many people actually abandoned their faith. They, they began to think that this whole idea of God sending a Messiah was nothing more than a fairy tale. It could be a story that started uh, with once upon a time. They, they just couldn't believe that after so long that God would actually keep his promise. Yet, there was still a remnant of people who remained faithful and prayed and they waited. Now, today I'm beginning this brand new series on uh, uh, this Christmas series. And I'm going to introduce to you two of those people who were faithful. Two of the ones who waited. Two of the ones who lived their life every day waiting for that very first Christmas. Those two people are, one is named, Zach, his husband and wife team named Zechariah and Elizabeth. Let's say their names together. Zechariah and Elizabeth. One more time. Zechariah and Elizabeth. Okay, these are the two people I want you to meet today. And their story is very relevant to us because there's going to be a time in your life, if you haven't experienced it already, where God is going to seem very distant. God, there's going to come a time in your life when God is going to seem silent. There's going to be a time in your life, if you haven't already experienced it, where God is just going to seem very aloof or inactive. And you're going to wonder, why in the world am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I attending? Why am I serving? Why am I still giving? Why am I still believing? Why am I living my life as if someone or something is bigger than I am? And if you've ever had thoughts like that, if you've ever had questions like that, if you've ever had doubts like that, let me tell you, welcome, because this Christmas story is for you. If you've ever wondered, if, if I'm just believing in a fairy tale, this Christmas story is for you. 
And here's how it begins. We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 5, and we're going to do some Bible study today. So I hope you're really ready for some good Bible study. If you've got a pen, you want to be circling some words here and there on some of the scriptures that I've got. But we're going to look through the story. We're going to see how this story is for you. Here we go. Chapter 1, verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judah. Okay, now stop right there. We didn't get very far, uh, but we're going to stop right there because I want you to know that this Herod is the very same Herod who was in charge, king of the Jews, during the time that Jesus was born, and the same Herod that after Jesus was born ordered the killing of all the baby boys under two years old born in Bethlehem. That's the Herod we're talking about. So let's look at it again. In the time of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named, what's his name? Zechariah, there we go. Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, yep, was also a descendant of Aaron. Okay. Aaron. You know what this means? Now look at it. It says, Zechariah belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, and his wife, Elizabeth, was a descendant of Aaron. You know what this means? That both Zechariah and Elizabeth were preacher's kids. That's exactly what it means right here. They both came from a long line of religious leaders. And here's where we pick up some tension in the story. Here we go. Verse 6. Ready? Here we are. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God. All right, stop. In other words, they were both wanting to do the right thing. God was pleased with them. They were righteous in the sight of God. Now, why were they righteous? Well, look what it says. What did they do? They were observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. All right. Now, if you've ever read the Old Testament, you'll know there's a bunch of commands in there. But here's one couple who was doing it right. They were keeping these commands and decrees based on a promise, some powerful promises that God had given to Abraham 2,000, listen to that number, 2,000 years earlier. And here, in my opinion, is what's really amazing. They were keeping those commands, now listen to this. They were keeping these commands that were given to Abraham 2,000 years ago, all right? Now, but they were also keeping these commands even though God had been virtually silent to Israel for the past 700 years. God had been virtually silent. It felt as if God had abandoned the nation of Israel. And here was this little remnant of people who were still living their lives expecting the Messiah to come. Still living their lives expecting Christmas to happen. Even though God had been silent, virtually silent, to the nation of Israel for the last 700 years. Boy, that sure looks like false hope, doesn't it? 700 years. You realize that our, our nation, I mean, you think about it. The British landed in Jamestown in the year 1607. That's less than 500 years ago. And here we're talking about 
700 years, God had been virtually silent to the nation of Israel. All right, next verse in seven, verse seven. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. Well, stop right there. Let's get this straight right here. Zechariah and Elizabeth, uh, they're getting up in years. They're getting up in years, and uh, they, they, they get up every day keeping the Lord's commands. They were waiting for the Messiah. They were serving in the temple. They were being good people. And this God that they're faithful to leaves them without an heir. Leaves them without an heir, without any kids. Now, I need to quickly add right here that in that culture, being childless was considered shameful, that you had done something wrong, that you must be the biggest sinner in the world if you weren't able to have kids. We know that's not true today, but that's what they thought back then, that for some unknown reason, God has cursed you. And look at how the scripture ends right there. It says, and they were both what? What does it say? And they were both what? Very old. Yeah. Well, it sure looks right here that that goose is cooked, doesn't it? You know, it's over. It's too late. They had prayed and they prayed and they had prayed and God sure seemed silent. Even so, as crazy as it seems, this couple remains faithful to God. Now, follow me for a second. This faithfulness of Elizabeth and Zechariah was based on some promises that God gave Abraham 2,000 years earlier. And they were still being faithful based on those promises. And here's what God said to Abraham. He said this. He said, I'll make you into a great nation. Okay, well, that happened. Yeah, that happened. And I will bless you, and I'll make your name great. Okay, that happened too. You know, you've heard of Abraham, and, uh, but how the promise here now starts to break down. It says, you'll become a blessing, and I'll bless those who bless you. And for a while that happened. And I'll curse you. Uh, I'll curse those who curse you. We're still trying to figure that one out, so let's not spend any time there. And all the people will be blessed through you. All the people on earth blessed through you. Okay, you being Abraham. Now, folks, stay with me for just a moment. You're going to be about to get the entire Old Testament in 60 seconds. Okay, here it is. So, after God gave this promise, eventually Abraham had a son who had a son who had a bunch of sons. They ended up moving to Egypt, and uh, they uh, were brought the nation of Israel there and moved back to the land, the promised land, and that land became a kingdom. Things were going great for Israel, but soon there was a king whose name was David. He was great. Then Solomon was king. That was good. And then everything started falling apart. There were good kings and there were bad kings. And between them, there were all these wars. And this was the time that that Zechariah and Elizabeth lived under the nation of Israel when Israel had fallen apart. Israel had changed hands 25 times before Zechariah and Elizabeth 
were born. It was a genuine mess. And many, many, many Jews during that time had turned away from temple worship. They thought, okay, God, you've been silent now for 700 years. We've been in a mess, one mess after the next, after the next. Certainly you don't care about us. Certainly you've just taken your hand off of us. Certainly you have nothing to do with us anymore. It just looks like this whole thing is over. The party's over. God has left the building. At least it looked that way to everybody except a handful of people, including Zechariah and Elizabeth. And the reason Luke begins with this very story right here is because this was the beginning of a brand new world that would ultimately result in the fulfilling of the promise that God had made to Abraham. And this is the reason right here it's so important that you and for you and me, because I said earlier that there are going to be times in your life, there are going to be seasons in your life when God is going to seem far away. He's going to, you're, you're going to think, okay, well, God, you've just forgotten about me. I'm not worthy of your time anymore. You've just seemed to forget that I'm even existing. And you're going to wonder if all of this starts with, and once upon a time, there was a God who lived far, far away. Is God alive? Is he listening? Does he really care? And this is the story where we hear God say, and we're going to hear it shortly, where you're going to hear God say a resounding yes. I do care. I am alive. And I got you. You just have got to wait for the right time. And here's the rest of the story. Beginning in verses 8 and 9. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty... He was serving as priest before God, and he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. All right, here's what's happening. Essentially, Zechariah, uh, his priestly division, was chosen to serve in the temple, and then by lot, Zechariah was chosen out of that priestly division to go into the temple. Now, you've got to understand that in the temple... There was this room in the very back. It was separated by this great big curtain. And behind the curtain, what was the room called? Do you remember? The Holy of Holies. Yes. Behind there was the Holy of Holies. Now, what sat in the back of the Holy of Holies, right there in the center, was the Ark of the what? Ark of the Covenant. That is the play, that is the box that God told Moses to build, in which was placed the Ten Commandments and some other things. And then it was all, it was made of wood and then gold leafed all around it. And then on the very top was called the mercy seat of God. Now, 
why that's special, why that's significant, is that the mercy seat on top of the Ark of the Covenant, on top of this gold-leafed box that contained the Ten Commandments, is the very place, now hear me, the very place where God was said to physically, physically sit and dwell on top of the Ark of the Covenant. So, this Ark of the Covenant was in the Holy of Holies, separated by a curtain, and only at a certain time of year could a priest go back behind that curtain. And he would go back behind that curtain. He was alone. He was ministering there uh, around the Holy of Holies, around the Ark of the Covenant. And this is what begins to happen. I mean, for, for, for Zechariah, this was a once-in-a-lifetime experience. He may never, ever, 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 ever get this experience again, this opportunity again. So he, you can imagine he was just really excited. So he goes back there. Now, verses 10 and 11. And when the time came for the burning of the, or when the time for the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Yeah, because they were not allowed, you know, behind the, behind the curtain. He's in there all by himself. Then, look what happens. An angel of the Lord appears to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Okay, so now that was quite unexpected. You know, an angel showing up there. Zachariah was taking care of business behind the curtain. He turns around and suddenly there's an angel appearing. Verse 12, when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. Well, duh, you know, that goes without saying, right? Doesn't it? Verse 13, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Okay, that's the standard angel response, right? And for good reason, yeah? I mean, there's good reason that the angel would say that. Okay, he says, your prayer has been heard. Now, that's certainly awesome right there. I'd love to hear that response, you know, after I, I'm praying, say amen. And I hear, okay, God's got it, you know, that would be a great thing. I wish I could hear that from time to time. What a confirmation. Then he says, okay, your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him Todd. No, oh, sorry. <laughs> no, you to call him what? Oh, that's a good name, isn't it? Uh, it's an outstanding name. Yeah, and he's going to be a very famous John, by the way, because he would turn out to be John the, yeah, he would turn out to be John the Baptist, and that's how this whole story begins. Verse 14 and 15, we're studying, keep on going. It says, but he will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. And the story continues. Look at the next verse 16. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. Now, why would John the Baptist be bringing back many of the people of Israel to, to the Lord? Well, remember, 
many Jews here had abandoned God because God had been silent for the last how many years? 700. Yeah, for the last 700 years. They felt like God was gone, that he had left the building, that he was no more, that he just had given up and didn't care. God seemed silent. He seemed aloof. They thought God had gone home. It was fun while it lasted, but now the party's over and God's just a distant memory. Verse 17, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Boy, he's got, he's going to do a whole lot according to this. And, and then look at the next verse. And then Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? Okay, now Zechariah is getting very diplomatic here. He says, I'm an old man, but my wife is well along in years. All right? <laughs> he knows better than to call Elizabeth old, just in case any of this ever gets written down. He just want to make sure. But Zechariah was saying here, you know, I- I'm really glad God heard my prayers. You know, but Gabriel, angel, you seem to be a day late, or a, uh, yeah, a day late and a peso short. He just thought, this is too late now. What are you, what are you talking about? You're going to give me a kid. You know, you just heard me say that I am really old, and my wife's getting up there too. She's, in other words, she's well past childbearing ability. He's saying this whole thing is just too late. But verse 19 and 20, the angel said to them, I'm Gabriel. When he said, well, how can this happen? He said, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day it happens because you didn't believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Now, i got to tell you, I kind of like this right here. Remember, you know, Zechariah said to the angel, you know, how can this be? I mean, how can I be sure of this? And, you know, Gabriel said, well, I'm Gabriel. You know, just look at me. You know, uh, I'm an angel. Uh, that's how you can be sure of this. I'm telling you this is true. You're talking to an angel and you're wondering if this is going to happen. Well, this is good news. It means that the promise of God will come. And that, you know, here's an interesting thing. It also means that God's been paying attention all along. That even though God had been silent, even though it seemed like God had abandoned the people of Israel, God had been paying attention the entire time. He was simply waiting for the right time to bring about this change that would result eventually in the very first Christmas. Verses 21 to 25 
He says, Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed in the temple for so long. When he came out, he couldn't speak to them. They realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When the time of the service was completed, he returned home, and after this his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. And you know something, folks? That was just the warm-up act. That was the pre-concert concert. You know, that's like the conversation before the conversation. And all of this was just evidence that God was gearing up to do exactly what he had promised to do 2,000 years earlier. That one day, the Messiah would come. One day, God would come in person. And God can always be counted on to keep his promises. And you know, finally, that day did come when God did exactly what he planned to do. That he made good on that promise to Abraham. And the story concludes with the beginning of the next. And I'm just going to start it off by saying verse 26 and 27. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was who? Yeah, it was Mary. And you know, I tell you all of that story today to tell you that, you know, this is our story too, folks. It's your story and it's my story. Because we have to answer the question, do we continue believing even when God seems silent to us? And I mean, if we want to make it really, really personal, let's use the, the pronoun you. Do you continue believing when God seems awfully silent to you? Or do we give up on our faith? Do you give up on yours? Do you relegate the whole thing about God to the story, the fairy tale? The once upon a time there was a God who lived far, far away. But you know, here's the interesting thing. Every generation has a remnant of people who stay true and faithful to God even when he seems aloof. You see, every generation has a group, a handful of people, a, a group of people who says, you know, I'm going to trust God even when God seems silent because I know, I know that I know that I know that he always keeps his promises. And it may not be in my time. It may not be exactly when I want God to 
come through and do it. But I know that if I continue to wait, God will always, always eventually come true. And you know, if you're among that small handful of people in this generation, I just want you to know that there's nothing wrong with you. Even though the world may laugh at you and say, you know, you are such a fool to be thinking that there is a God who cares about you, a God who loves you, and a God who keeps his promise. And if that's who you are, welcome to the world of Zachariah and Elizabeth. Welcome to that remnant of people, of faithful people. Welcome to a world, a small handful of people within that world that believes that God will come in person. And that's what Christmas is. A reminder that God keeps his promises. A reminder that even when God seems silent in your life and in mine, he always comes through. So your counsel today is never give up. Don't lose hope. God will come in person because he always keeps his promises. Get it? Good. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord. You are such an unbelievable God that you are willing to love us even when we are unlovable. Even when we're filled with doubt and filled with fear and filled with questions. Yet, you always keep your promise. You always come through. You always are there. Thank you, Lord, so much for your love for us that never ends and never fails. May we, Lord, be that faithful remnant who always trusts and lives our life knowing that Christmas is coming. Even though we may not see it, even though it may seem far away to us, that Christmas is coming, you come in person. Thank you, Lord, for loving us enough to do just that, for loving us enough to invade our world, for loving us enough to show us that we are lovable even in our disobedience. So right now, Lord, in the darkness of our doubt and our, and our faithlessness, we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would fill us with your love, with your grace, and the assurance that you keep your promise. And we give you praise and honor and glory in the holy, precious, matchless name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people say, amen.